Advance Auto Parts has better parts and better service. We interrupt this Advance Auto Parts commercial with big news. Now, during the Advance Tax Madness Savings Event, you can save 15% when you spend $50 or more and 25% when you spend over $150. Just text the word SAVE to 36898 for your coupon. Good in-store or online. Offer ends March 12th. Now back to our original commercial. Only at Advance Auto Parts and select CarQuest locations. Let's get you back on the road. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Deirdre Haid and Willem Entz. They are authors of the not-so-little book of surprises. Deirdre is not able to make it this morning, but Willem is here. And let me tell you a little bit about Deirdre. Deirdre is a modern-day mystic, a healer, and visionary leader in the ancient arts of the wisdom traditions, creator and founder of Radiance Healing and Radiance Meditation. As a spiritual teacher and mystical poet, Deirdre had taught and guided thousands of people worldwide. Her work unites awareness with transcendence, mystery with purpose. William, on the other hand, began his professional career as a research laser physicist developing wave optics simulators for high-energy lasing system. He then wrote a systems management software system called AutoSys. Embraced by Fortune 500 companies around the world, he sold his company and retired. However, he became interested in decimating some of the principles gleaned from his decade of spiritual inquiry to the public. He wrote and made a movie out of the world of spiritualism. William and I will be discussing about the daily power of transcendence. Their book of surprises is not only a beautiful book written to create the interest in you in finding out more about yourself, but it also offers the opportunity to achieve a new sense of awareness. So, Good morning, William. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. It is a pleasure to have you join me this morning, and I'm sorry that Deirdre is not able to join us, but I have to tell you, the book is just an excellent book. It really caught me by surprise. It is totally unexpected because when I got the book, I really could not understand the book as much as I did after the fact. So congratulations to both of you. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me into the kitchen. I was hoping there would be some tea and muffins, but I guess we're doing it electronically, so there's no uh, no tea and muffin. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. I know we talked a little bit about what you did and so forth, but please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Well, um, you know... Uh, my first half of my life, I was a scientist, or that's what I thought of myself, um, mm-hmm. doing physics, and then I wrote uh, software, uh, wrote a systems management thing that you mentioned, and then, um, having done all that, I decided to make that movie, What the Bleep Do We Know, mm-hmm. um, and that that movie, oh, that's pl- played in countries around the world, um, Oh, I don't know. We've we've estimated 100 million people have probably seen it by now, um, and that was really a, a different 
a different path, but it was because of all the years of doing a little spiritual inquiry and teachers mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then I met Deirdre, and uh, at the time I met Deirdre, I was going to, uh, she was doing retreats, and I, I went to the retreats, I went to a couple retreats, and let's just say one thing led to another, and we went and got married. Um, first time for me, she was wondering mm-hmm. if at 62, an old dog could learn a new trick and be <laughs> be a good husband. Apparently, I passed the test. Uh-huh. And uh, then um, she's been writing uh, these novels that she's been working on. And it was just taking too long. And someone s- said to me, they said, Will, you know, you could mm-hmm. take um, Deirdre's poetry and teaching. She is like, Ten volumes of teachings have been transcribed. Why don't you just yeah. take take some of the quotes, put some pictures with it, and you know release that for a book? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I I thought about it for about a day, and I thought, you know, that's a pretty good idea. And yeah. I just came up with the concept of surprise, and so the book's called the Not So Little Book of Surprises. And the reason I chose the surprise aspect is. I learned from the research I did for What the Bleep Do We Know that yeah. when a surprise happens, your blood chemistry changes, your, your, your neuroplasticity goes up. You're able to have insights and new ideas that you never had before, and that's just biochemically, that's what happens. So I thought, you know, a lot of the quotes that I picked for the book uh, from her teachings really are surprising in that she says things in, you know, maybe you've heard the concept before, but she says it in such a unique way that it's like, whoa, I never, I never thought of it exactly that way. Right. And so that's how the book came about. Very interesting. When I look at the book, first and foremost, it's beautifully done. I have to say that again. It's a wonderful keepsake book. It looks very well on the coffee table. After hearing what you just said, this is a beautiful sort of a you two combining together and giving birth to something special. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely what what it, what it was. And uh, we kind of joke that I, from when I first got sat down and thought, well, maybe I'll put this book together. Until it was off to the printer, it all happened in three months. Um, the the other element that I'd like to mention um, in the book reason you say it looks so beautiful is uh, there's someone, a friend of Deirdre's she's worked with for years, Andre Balog, and he's a photographer. And um, so Deirdre said, why don't, maybe we should put some of Andre's photos in the, in the book. I'm like, okay. So I go on Andre's website. Andre had like 3,000 pictures on his websites that he didn't know what to do with. They were just sitting there. He's such an artist. Typically artists don't know what to do with it. And um, so in three months, I put the whole thing together. Uh, but the joke was it was three months and ten years because it was ten years <laughs> of Deirdre teaching and writing poetry and ten yeah. years of Andre doing photographs, and I was just the lucky guy. So if we're talking about the kitchen, I was in the kitchen, and all the ingredients were just sitting on the table, and I just had to fry it all up. <laughs> it takes creativity, though. The pictures truly glued everything together. I love it well, because it just yeah, sort of fell into place. Yeah, and part of the reason for that is um, in that movie that I made, What the Bleep Do We Know, there was a lot of uh, animation in that. Uh, and there was also, it was, for those who haven't seen the movie, part of it is a dramatic story with an actress. Part of it 
is a documentary with interviewing scientists, and part of it is all this animation. So, you know, I put all those elements together. So I kind of put the, the not-so-little book of surprises together like a movie in mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. taking quotes. And when you're making a documentary film, you always look at transcripts of the interviews. So you're reading mm-hmm. through these mm-hmm. things. So I know how to do mm-hmm. that. So it was just like making a movie, but instead of putting it on uh, film, not that anyone right. puts it on film anymore, putting it on electronics, um, right. and instead of, making it a movie it just came out as a book but right. it kind of reads that way it is you have the beginning sort of like lure you in in a sense like okay i'm curious and see what's going on where is it going to lead me to as i mentioned to you before we got on the air in the sense that okay sort of a layup i don't know whether you play golf or not but it's like a layup each time when you get to a certain point then it lays you up to the next one to the next one and finally you get to the green <laughs> This book is just put that way, and along the way, of course, you have all these wonderful pictures that epitomize the things that you talk about in that particular section. Deirdre's prose and poems kind of blends in beautifully from one section to the other section to the next section to the next section, and that's what I thought. It was a wonderful walk through the book. That's that's great. To do. I'm, I'm really pleased that... Uh that that's the way it, it seemed to you. That's what, that's what I was trying to do um, when I sequenced the book. Because yeah. otherwise, if you sometimes see these books of quotes, you have one quote, you know, they're talking about the sky, the next thing they're talking about their car not starting, the next thing, right. you know, there's no, there's no uh, uh, continuity or, or through line. That's right, through that's it. right, that's right. Yeah, and I yeah. wanted, like a, like a film... You know, mm-hmm. uh, you need to have a through line. You need to have something that carries it through and have sections. Like there's a section in the book where we just start talking about the ego, the ego this, the ego right. that, right. Right. four or five or six different ways. Um, and then the photos, it's interesting story about the photos. <laughs> the, what, what we tried to do with the photos is, you know, there's a thing um, that you kind of want to avoid where you're saying uh, um, it's too on the head. So if you have a mm-hmm. quote like... Next time your car uh, doesn't start, don't shoot it. And you have someone standing there <laughs> pointing a gun at a car. That's kind of, yeah. it's so obvious. It's like, ugh. Right. So right. we always wanted to make it a little bit. So when you said the pictures sort of go with the quotes, I love yeah. that because yeah. the sort of makes you think about it. You look at that mm-hmm. and you're like, and in fact, a couple times I was associating pictures with the quotes. And Andre mm-hmm. would say, hey, there's this quote. I think this picture would go great. Right. And he sent it right. to me, and I'm like, Andre, what are you smoking? That No way <laughs> does that fit. And I'd wake up the next morning, and I'd go, oh, my God, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like part of the idea with the pictures, it, it stretches your mind a little bit. That, That's right. That You've you got to think about it. And, you know, I, one of my – Deirdre and I both think that – People have kind of given up in some respects thinking for themselves. They just Mm -hmm. go Google it, and that's the answer. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all searching for things, and I'm sure you of all persons realize that as a filmmaker, people are visual. They need something to trigger something else. So the beautiful photos, not only does it go with a quote, but then like for some people, they are more into, say, the text, for example. But now they can visualize something that sort of 
in some ways invoke certain things in them from a visual perspective. And then, of course, you have people that are visual that sort of like, okay, I'm looking at this picture and I'm reading this prose and it speaks to me from a different perspective. That makes a big difference because that sort of walk us through, it connects with us at different levels, so to speak. Well, that, that's great that you uh, picked that up because what it, what it, when yeah. you think about it, what it does is when, you, when you're uh, reading something, it's language. Mm-hmm. So language is, um, is using the left side of the brain. It's, you, know, mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. parse the thing. You have to think about it. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a logical construct. The right. picture is mm-hmm. the right side of the brain. It's just mm-hmm. an image. It's something without necessarily without words, without concepts. It just is what it is. So it right. kind of fires both sides of the brain mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, and that was mm-hmm. something, again, I learned from the, the film I made, is yeah. having, having the left and the right side, and then between the two, often then you hit something that's beyond those two. And that's, right. you know, when that happens, that's, that's gold. It's very dramatic. I mean, I know this sounds cliche but like they always say, a picture paints a thousand words. Because sometimes you don't necessarily have to write a whole lot. I'm looking at page 70, for example, that says right here, focus on bringing the light into the mundane and you will learn how to be a great master of energy. And here you have this acrobat that's standing on like a pipe roll and balancing. And in the same time, she's got just about everything in her hands and her head. <laughs> I mean, you have to see it <laughs> to really yeah. fully understand and embrace the concept of, okay, I am the master of the energy around me. And it triggers something within oneself. Now, everybody has different level of understanding and whatnot. But for me personally, when I look at that, okay, times of challenging times, for example, and I'm looking at myself, it reminds me of my mom told me this, because we kind of not necessarily grew up in the country, so to speak, but she did. She always said that, son, cream always rises to the top. I have used this before in sharing it with someone and someone who obviously didn't grow up in the country. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, in the old days, people get milk from the cow. That's it. And then what happens at the very top, the milk itself, the water part of it separates, the cream floats to the top. (laughs) When you boil it, you pasteurize, the cream floats to the top. And inevitably, because it's got a lot of fat in it, and so it floats to the top. So the concept is like you have certain things in you. If you allow it and just kind of sit still, you'll come up. Yep, that's, uh, by the way, that was when I grew up, um, we had a, a, a milk, we had a, I lived in a little farm town, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a dairy, a dairy farm just right down the street, and, you know, in the morning, the, mm-hmm. the milkman would come up, put the milk in the, in the, uh, in the little chest out on the porch, right. and there it was, and if we wanted regular milk, we would have to shake it up, because, yeah, the cream, the cream came to the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a simple analogy like that, that like, wow, I mean, we take it for granted. I'm not trying to be silly here, but it's amazing if you look at life, situations that present itself from that perspective and trying to correlate it within ourselves as in some ways that we're connected and so forth. How did spirituality come into your life? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, it, it, it sort of came in through the side door. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, my family was uh, Christian, uh, Protestant, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, 
my the one side of my uh, my mother's family um, were very Christian. Uh, my grandfather was a minister. I had uncles who were missionaries. I mean, they were very uh, very religious. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I would go to Sunday school and. Some of the stuff I was taught in Sunday school, I just couldn't, I couldn't buy it. I mean, the mm-hmm. thing that got me was, the, I remember being in Sunday school, and I said they, they said the only way to uh, escape from going to hell was to accept Jesus Christ. And so I said, mm-hmm. so some little kid is born in India, and they die before that happens, um, right. and they're going to you know, fry in hell forever? And the answer was yes. And I was at that point, I just a little switch went off in my head, and I said, this is wrong. I don't know why mm-hmm. this is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Now, part of that, that was the Sunday school teacher, and the church has changed their minds on this somewhat, but it's only something. Yeah. So I had a reaction against uh, a lot of what I saw as the, the dogma of the church. So mm-hmm. besides mm-hmm. that, I'm scientifically minded. So I'm now thinking, you know, I'm into science, I'm into math, we can think everything through. I go to college, I... I take physics. Um, I was really interested in uh, what was the nature of time and space. So I'm taking mm-hmm. relativity and all this sort of stuff. And I really wanted to know what is time. And I kept mm-hmm. you know, exploring it in physics, and I finally realized, you know, physics doesn't say what it actually is. They can say how it affects the physical universe. They can write equations using time, but they don't say what time is. And if you want to say what is time – that's the step in the metaphysics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because in metaphysics, they'll go on like, well, certain planes of existence, time doesn't exist, it's only an illusion here, you can go backwards and forwards in time. So I started reading all this metaphysics because I thought it was more interesting. But I would ignore all the spiritual parts of it. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. they talk about meditating, I don't care about that, I just want to read about time and space. But after about five years of ignoring the more spiritual aspects of metaphysics, it just started to dawn on me that maybe I was throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, reading, kind of taking more seriously uh, the more spiritual aspects. Now talking about karma, so now I'm reading uh, Eastern philosophy and Buddhist stuff. And um, I just became more and more interested in it. And when in my early 30s, I ended up finding a spiritual teacher, and um, from then on it was, you know, off to the races. Fantastic. It's a big difference in terms of you applying spirituality to science, and I guess the other way around as well. I presume you're using science to sort of validate the spiritual yearning that you have to make sure that they kind of connect, so to speak. Yeah, and the movie I made, What the Bleep Do We Know, that was Mm -hmm. really, that was kind of the the big part of it is science and spirituality. And in that, uh, talked a lot about quantum physics Mm because, you know, there's a lot of things in quantum physics that I wouldn't say prove spirituality, but they sure seem Mm -hmm. to be saying the same thing. Um, And so really uh, examine that. And, you know, I do have a scientific mind looking at things and, and, um, one of the things I notice is people often would think, oh, these spiritual people, they're woo-woo, they're flaky, yeah, they're, yeah. you know. And my experience has been very different, that um, most of the people I know who are quote-unquote spiritual, 
Yeah. You know, they're, they have active minds. They think about things. They examine things. They question things. Inquiry right. is such a, a big part of it. And and I kind of and I I got a little having been in spiritual practice for years, a little resentful of the fact that people are oh you're into meditating, you're a flake ball, mm-hmm. and it's like no, that's not that's not it. It's a when you're on the spiritual path. You use everything. You use your mind. You use your intuition. You use your emotions. You use your physicality, and um, I think that's important that in our culture, uh, people realize that mm-hmm. the spiritual mm-hmm. path is a grand undertaking. So true. So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. I am Johnny Tan, your host. My guest for this morning is William Unst. Deirdre Haidt is not able to join us. They are husband and wife team who have written the book, The Not-So-Little Book of Surprises. We are discussing about the daily power of transcendence, their book of surprises, and your opportunity to achieve new awareness. Will, is the book intended for a specific audience? No. No, it's not really. Uh, in fact, in the early days of marketing the book, our distributor was saying, mm-hmm. okay, who do we market the book to? Right. And we're like, well, and the closest we came to describing the book was, it's a children's book for adults and an adult <laughs> book for children. Yeah. Because um, it. one thing we did, we, um, we, we had our, our printer, um, mm-hmm. And he was reading the book, and he's not, you know, doesn't really have a, a spiritual practice or anything. He mm-hmm. he was just reading through it, and he hit this one page where he just stopped, and he said, he he said his something that had been bothering him all his life was suddenly explained, and he said mm-hmm. he just put the book down and said he had one of the most profound moments of his life um, by reading this one page. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you say, who's it for, you never know because it's a surprise. You never, and we're surprised by how people, you know, and for some people it'll be just one, one phrase in there will be like, oh my God, that's what, that's what's been happening in my life, which is what happened to him. And the, the the quote was, um, you know, we we have great loves in our life, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sometimes they don't last, and we ask why. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is sometimes the light that the love generates is just too bright. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that had been his experience, but he had never, no one had ever put it that way. And boom, so a light went off, and so he 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 got his surprise. Right, right. That's true. Like I was telling you, in my situations, okay, I've done this, uh-huh, I've experienced that, so what am I going to get out of this book? And I did. I got a lot out of it. Deirdre is a mystic healer, and obviously she is connected with the unseen and so forth. For me, it's like, okay, that validates how I feel, or things that sometimes that comes to mind. So it makes me feel good from that perspective. And then there are moments in terms of like uh, certain pages that just sort of just really, really connect to my personal experience. One of the things that does connect quite a bit is the fact that the way she prayed every morning or meditate, whichever way you want to cut it, it's still a moment of 
your inner self, looking at yourself and sort of a, that spiritual grounding that we seek every morning to start off our day. That was a beautiful section in the book that I really love from that perspective. Well, we, hopefully something for everyone. So <laughs> we, but you never know. I mean, it's like as an artist, you put something out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you hope people are going to, uh, you know, react to it and get something out mm-hmm. of it. But, but you know, in the end, you never really know. So I'm just so thank you so much for for what you just said. Why is honey symbolic in the book? Oh, I'm gonna have to tell. Deirdre, you asked that question. <laughs> I'm going to tell her. She will smile and smile and, and smile. And you have to. First, when I'm seeing, okay, what's the deal about this honey deal? As I delve into the book, and before you explain that, because I would love to hear your side of the equation, and of course, Deirdre, in her use of it, my thoughts of the honey thing has always been from the standpoint, you know what? Honey lasts thousands of years, and they're still the same. It doesn't break down. That's my take of it. It's amazing. That's the very core. It doesn't change. I mean, it's the beauty of it. It collects the sun. I'm a Leo, so I'm, I'm collecting sun and all that kind of thing. But anyway, that's my thoughts about that. But I love it, <laughs> the way you well, guys use honey. The the honey, there's a it's kind of a convoluted answer, but that kind of makes mm-hmm. it interesting. Um, yeah. Deirdre always says that honey in the uh, ancient Egyptian um, thinking, they always had honey and honeybees mm-hmm. and whatnot, and that was their symbol for enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was enlightenment because it really, like you said, it captures the sun. It captures the essence of the light. And these bees are what put it together and Mm -hmm. so um and bees as a species are an amazing thing the way that they work the way that they do that and and so that's one aspect another aspect is she was drawn to it because as you know bees are in trouble on the planet Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um something like um i don't know i live in santa barbara and in santa barbara half of the hives beehives are now dead Oh wow! And this is yeah. This is something that's been happening for they've realized it for a decade or two now. The bees are dying off in uh, large quantities, and they haven't been able to figure out why. And just only last year, eventually, a report came out of Europe that they think they've now traced it to a certain pesticide oh. that is killing the bees off. And um, and that pesticide is outlawed in uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. And but it's, of course it's not outlawed here, and quite honestly, with the current administration, they'll probably want to make more of it because that's the way they think. Right. Um, but it's like the, this this pesticide is killing off the bees, and the thing is, I mean, boy, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> that you know, bees, the pollination that they do, not only do they create the honey, but they are the ones that pollinate. The you know the the almond trees they pollinate mm-hmm. you know all this food that that sustains right. us happens right. because of the bees and we're killing it off with pesticides so mm-hmm. part of the reason she's been drawn to the bees is that um, just it's like uh, Deirdre is very connected to nature being a mystic mm-hmm. you're that yeah have right. put in nature all the time and so she just felt compelled to bring the bees forward. In the book, um, and the final aspect of the the bees is there are the poems in the honey jars, 
mm-hmm. which of mm-hmm. course has the bees in it and honey and the whole thing. And this was one of the mystical poems that just came to Deirdre one night. Mm-hmm. And she said the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament actually came to yeah. her and told her this long story poem uh, it called In the Honey Jars. That is, and, and Deirdre read that poem to me a few years ago. I just loved it. The first time she read it, I didn't understand it, and I loved it yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided to put the book together, my first thought was, oh, I am going to scatter the honey, the poem through the book, and that's mm-hmm. going to become the spine of the book. And mm-hmm. really, that those poems are about the light returning to planet Earth mm-hmm. and healing it. And it's such a, a, a powerful poem. And you know, the bees and the honey is just—I don't know—it's it's mystical poetry. What can I say? You read it, and yeah. it's wonderful. Right. Well, honey is the sustenance of life in so many ways, because if you don't have anything, you have honey, you can still survive. Yep. Yeah, if we don't have bees, we won't survive. So, <laughs> you know, people, you know, let's, you know, be aware and, you know, these sort of things that, that people do to protect the environment, you know, to protect Precisely. the species, yeah. to protect, you know, nature. I mean, we got to, that has to be top priority because, you know, as they say, once once a species goes extinct, it never comes mm-hmm. back. Right, right. So true. We live in a closed system. You cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. And in our situation is that I think there are a lot of people out there take things for granted, like you were talking about in terms of if the bee goes extinct, well, guess what? There's a ripple effect to it. If you go back in the ancient texts of the Hindus and so forth, a cow is a very sacred animal. And the reason for that is simply it provides milk, it plows the land, it actually provides the nutrients for the trees to grow from their droppings. So you have to protect the cow so you can't eat the cow, basically. You can't eat beef because it's human nature. We tend to do things in excess. So yeah. You kill yourself in the process, so to say, <laughs> inevitably. <laughs> Civilization will end from that perspective, but if we respect nature, if we respect things all around us and we feel connected, then it's a different perspective. And that's what I kind of like the way the book is kind of gently leading us to that. And one of the things that Deirdre talks about is we are actually the connection between heaven and earth. What's your take on that from that perspective in your spiritual experience? Well, that that is my experience. That's mm-hmm. that's why I picked that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we're we're the you know we're the conduit. We're the the ones with uh, self awareness and the ones that can bridge, you know, between the higher realms mm-hmm. and the lower realms. And she also says in there that that the you know the higher realms can't come here without us. They, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like God. And, and, Angels can just show up and make everything wonderful. Uh, that's not the way the universe is set up. That that the divine needs us as much as we need the divine. It's just all right. An interlocking system. Very interesting. The book mentioned several times about ego, and you had brought it up just now early as well. Can you share your experiences with ego and how it has? 
contributed to your very being? Well, the way I think of ego, I often think of it um, in terms of the personality. Mm-hmm. And so the ego is the you know the personality or it's like the it's like the clothes you put on it's not necessarily you although you need the the ego you need the personality in order to interact with the world because if you're just pure spirit mm-hmm. you don't interact and so the the ego um is very connected to the body it's like the interface to the body um and the mind and your belief systems and a lot of that is really um, the ego or your emotions, something happened mm-hmm. to you as a child, so that affects how you react. Um, that's that's the ego. And the the trouble with the ego, of course, is the ego is, is to be the, the, the protector. It's to be the, the mm-hmm. interface to the rest of the world. Um, but what happens is the, the, the protector starts becoming the... Uh, um, the overlord, and pretty soon it just, the ego thinks, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm who you are, so just listen to me." And the the other parts of ourselves, the spirit, the soul, whatever, um, mm-hmm. ends up taking a back seat to the ego. And mm-hmm. so people think they are just the body. They think they are just their thoughts or their their belief systems. And it's something more than that. So for me, I have a a part of me is always kind of aware of when the ego is just doing its thing. Um, and it's it's that kind of awareness. We talk in the book about the silent watcher. Mm-hmm. The silent mm-hmm. watcher, the part of ourselves that's always just observing what's going on. And mm-hmm. the silent watcher is all often just you know, observing the ego do its thing. Um, I know sometimes something will happen and I'll get angry. And I'm pissed and I'm... I'm walking around the the house raving about something. I can't believe I, I, I'm going on. And, and you know, and the silent watchers kind of up there going like, well, well, well. Mm-hmm. There's the old mm-hmm. ego. He's all he's all worked up because so and so said something bad about him. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, but you need the ego. There's sometimes I've seen in spiritual practices where people are like, well, we have to get rid of the ego totally. Mm-hmm. Well, what? Deirdre's been saying is like, no, you can't get rid of the ego totally because if you do, you'll you'll leave your body. That's, mm-hmm. You know, you, it's it's something necessary in order to be in the world, but you just you, you can't let the guardian become the guard. Is kind of what I think. I see. You brought up something that's very interesting: the silent self, so to speak. What I look at it is that sort of inner self versus the outer self. And we need to know our inner self and how we think internally because our outer self is a projection of our inner self in so many ways. When I read that section of the book, things that come to mind will be we are governed by two yet separate equal forces, love and fear. We do need fear and we do need love. It's a balancing act, but at the same time, which lens are we looking through on the situational basis, on the things that we do, our decisions, are pretty much governed by those two forces. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much true, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I look at ego from the standpoint of like that will be hitching a ride on the fear side of the equation. Yeah, that's that's. I, I've never actually thought of it that way, but now that you mention it, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, we have a quote in the book where Deirdre says, "Fear is a construct." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a construct, and you know, and people often say that really fear. At the bottom of fear, there's only really one fear, and that's fear of death. Mm-hmm. Everything else mm-hmm. is a, a is a variation on that, which is why when people have um, these out of near death experiences, you know, mm-hmm. where they're 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 dead for whatever, and they, but they come back in their body. Um, when they come back in the body, across the board, people are fundamentally changed. Fundamentally changed. They're just different beings, and because that fear of death has just been eliminated from them. They they were quote-unquote dead, and they realized that they right. still existed. And so they come back into this world, and they're like, hey, everyone, every, it's all a bonus. <laughs> you know, we're just all in Disneyland forever, and mm-hmm. uh, we get to choose our Disneyland. So, yahoo. So that fear yeah. is... Uh, is, is constant, but it's also a great motivator at times. Oh, it is. I believe that a person who is fearless loves nothing. Because if you're not fearful, then you're totally detached from everything. Hmm. You need to have a certain amount of love to be connected. Because love makes you connect in a very positive way. Fear, on the other hand, is connection, but then it's a different kind of way of looking at it. My mom, for example, I mean, we talk about, you brought up the fact that the greatest fear people have is actually death. My mom for years, and of course she had since passed for about four years now, she lives in Malaysia and I'm in Dallas, Texas. And whenever she visited me, this was years ago, it was interesting. She had always brought with her her death clothes. I didn't quite understand what it is, but she always mentions, I'm staying with you for six months. If anything happened to me, this is what I want to wear when I pass. I mean, like, why would you be thinking that way? She was not fearful. She's very spiritual. She prays twice a day, and she was never afraid of that. One of my, I wouldn't say fear. I thought that maybe because the fact that I'm here in the United States, that she's in Malaysia, I mean, Heck, someone can be living right next room to you, and if they pass, you may not necessarily be there when they pass. In her situation was, I felt like I needed to experience this because my father died when I was 19, and I never did know about that until about three months later when my mom told me in the letter saying that we didn't want you to come back from the United States because it's pointless, wasting all that money, you need to be going to school and so forth. But so for years, I never really truly experienced my father's death until 15 years later when I went home to visit his grave. But having said that, what I'm trying to allude to is that I had the opportunity to be with my mom. My sister called me one Saturday morning and said, you need to be back here like tonight. I don't think mom can make it past tonight. And I said, I can't get there tonight. It's just not practical. But I could try to get there as fast as I can. So I, needless to say, I got there that Wednesday and uh, was at the hospital with her, saw her situation. She obviously can't say anything, but I held her hand. And I believe she hung on because my sister told her that I'll be there. We took her home to her room because she always wanted to make sure that she passed on in her room. So we did that. And it was the most peaceful experience that I had. 
as I kiss her on her forehead and stroking her hair and whispering in her ears that it's okay, we're all right, I'm here, it's okay for you to go, and she finally passed on. I tell you, Will, it's like a totally unique experience for me. And for the first time right after that, you know what? I actually am not really afraid of dying, to be honest with you. I mean, not that I seek death now, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying that's not something that I fear from that perspective. I don't know why, but that spiritual experience that I went through made it a whole lot of difference. And to follow up with that, seven days later, I was sitting in the room, finally broke down and started crying that morning. It was early in the morning at 7 o'clock that morning. I was sitting on this little chair that she had bought for my sister and I. This tiny little chair as a kid made of rattan. And I was sitting there looking at her blouse that was hanging on an armoire. And it started moving. I mean, this is an interior room. So there was really no outside breeze. The fan was not on and so forth. So there's literally, literally, I mean, it just moved. And I thought I was like, okay, I must be imagining things. I called my sister into the room and I said, you need to look at this. I asked mom if I need to take this blouse with me as a memento back to the United States. And it moved. And I said, look, I just want you to see this. And we were both standing right there. I asked and it moved. And I cannot believe this. My sister told me, mom passed on in this outfit. And the sarong she's wearing is on that bed right there. And I said, I thought we kind of put it all together for her because she wanted to be cremated. She said, no, this is what she wore when she passed. And then she has her death outfit. (laughs) <laughs> that she wanted to wear. Oh. So we changed it to that other outfit, right? So this is the one that she actually was in. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this. I'm sorry this little lengthy thing in explaining myself, but I thought maybe you might be interested in hearing that and in coming back to what we just talked about in terms of the spiritual realm and so forth. Well, that's that's a, a, a great story. I'm, I'm really glad you, you told it. And I think that story, it's important um, for people to hear that story because uh, yeah. your experience is, you know, quite amazing. And, you know, in, in our society here in the West, death has been shunt off into a, a back room or a dark hospital mm-hmm. room that you never talk about or experience. Um, mm-hmm. Now, something you said, uh, I have a theory for you. You said that after that, you don't know why. Um, you said you just weren't after, you know, you were with your mother when she left. Um, yeah. You said, I, I don't fear death anymore. Well, I think the reason you don't fear death anymore is part of you went with your mother. Part wow. of you, your wow. soul, your spirits were connected, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. went with her part of the way to the other world. Um, as I'm saying this, I'm getting goosebumps all over me, and that's kind of a dead <laughs> giveaway. Yeah, you went part with your mother, you know, your love, yeah, and yeah. she was spiritual, and you were connected, and you went with her part of the way to the other worlds. And mm. then when you came back, part of you just was understood now. You had a, yeah. a visceral experience that, no, it isn't the end, and the fear went away. And the fact that the fear actually went away really tells you um, – something uh, uh, that, that your experience was, was real, that you did experience something different. Because a, a deep fear like that doesn't just go away because you read a book, and the book said, mm-hmm. oh, you live forever. You have right, to have right, the visceral right, right. experience, which is right. what you did. Yay. Yeah, yeah. 
And you're right, because as a child, I was afraid of death. Like you said, I guess like everybody does, you know, I don't want to die. I got you know, this, that, and so forth. Like for me, it's uh, my thoughts right now. People ask me, I say, it's like a transition. My time is up. I need to do something else. That's how I'm thinking. Uh-huh. Now, the, the reason that, that I said what I did to you about what, how the fear went away is that about uh, two years ago, my younger sister um, died of cancer. She had been mm-hmm. fighting it for 10 years. And Deirdre and I were in the room when she passed. And yeah. it was the same thing. We went, we went part of the way, because Deirdre lives in these other worlds. She's much more yeah. uh, conscious of it than me. And, yeah. you know, according to her, we went, we went part of the way back, and we sort of handed her off to uh, the beings mm-hmm. on the other side. And, you know, my experience of that that's a little like your, uh, about the, the blouse blowing in the room, is yeah. after she passed, we were in Massachusetts, and it was in October, and it was a sunny day. Fifteen minutes after she passed, suddenly a squall blew through, and it snowed like crazy for ten minutes. Wow. Yeah. And then, boom, the sun came out and it was a blue sky again. <laughs> and we, That's we amazing. We each yeah. other and we were like, okay, I guess Kate made it. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, and that's the experience. And so the viewers, I would just, you know, encourage people to be open to having those experiences. And, and when someone passes, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a doorway for them, but it's also a doorway for you. The other thing, Will, that I experienced, we have the wake at the house in our living room because that's total respect rather than having it in the parlor and so forth. Well, guess what? I'm from United States, and so I'm up at night because there's a 12 to 13-hour difference, right? So I'll take the night watch in the sense that because we were supposed to have this incense burning 24-7. I remember it was the third night. All of a sudden, like around midnight, I had this beautiful white moth appeared from nowhere flying around the cascade near me and then flew into her room and sort of disappeared. I was trying to get my iPhone to take a picture and I was not able to do that. I told this to my sister. She was not surprised because she said, Johnny, that white moth appeared the day that you came back, that Wednesday. I got in about 2 o'clock, the afternoon that is, but in the morning, my sister was cleaning up the house and she saw, yeah, this moth was following her all over the place into the kitchen, the bathroom, that kind of thing, and she just didn't say anything in her own way she was just murmuring says i hope this is a good omen and don't disturb me kind of thing and so that was kind of really cool when you look at things like that and only it appeared for my sister and me from that perspective well this world's a more mysterious place uh than maybe we might have uh thought in the (laughs) scientific west there are yeah 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 very, very interesting. Can you share with us your personal practice in connecting with God's light and energy? Well, I mean, my practice, there's uh, it's, uh, some of the things we've already talked about. Part of it mm-hmm. being the silent watcher is part of mm-hmm. my practice is just having, you know, that awareness, um, uh, sort of a transcendental awareness on, mm-hmm. on when I do and say things. Um, that's part of it. Uh, part of it is um, really becoming more aware of or more conscious of the uh, moments that are special. Like, in fact, it just happened when I 
when I said to you that part of the reason you fear of death left was mm-hmm. because you went part of the way. When I said that, my whole body just started to tingle. Mm. And I'm like, well, wow, uh, that, that's a confirmation. Yeah. So, um, so my practice is really uh, becoming more aware and more conscious of those of those moments, of those of those things, and they they happen all the time during the day. Um, and I would say, finally, for me, um, I, I've come to realize that big reason I incarnated on the planet was mm-hmm. to get uh, certain ideas, concepts, spiritual, this, that, and one thing out into the world, which is why the movie, which is why the Not mm-hmm. So Little Book of Surprises, um, Deirdre is working on some um, other books I'm helping her with. Um, mm-hmm. I I seem to have a book or two uh, in mind that I may write. So for, for me, um, part of that is just, the, they call it in the East Karma Yoga, where you're, mm-hmm. you're doing your your path is through uh, work is through doing great mm-hmm. work, so that's those are kind of my practices. Very interesting. Where can someone go to get more information about you and Deirdre, the books? And basically, I believe she does a lot of retreats as well. Yeah, she's taken a little hiatus from retreats, but she's going to be getting back into that and doing uh, online courses for Deirdre. Mm-hmm. Uh, her website is Deirdre Hade, and let me spell that D E I R D R E H A D E dot com. Deirdre Hade dot com. Um, we have a Book of Surprises dot com website. You can go there, and there's more information about the book. You can see little little parts of it, um, and uh, there's a, a couple little videos I put together um, for that. And uh, I have a bio. I don't really have a website myself. I'm more behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's there's some bio and stuff there um, on the website. And you know, once you get on the book of surprises, you can you can uh, buy the go go to Amazon and buy the book. We we did a special when we first printed the book. We decided that for a special introductory price, we would set the price at eighteen ninety five, which is crazy for a big. Nine by eleven coffee table photography book, basically. Um, but we're finally going to do our major release at the end of uh, April. So mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say to your viewers, if you want to get a, a screaming <laughs> deal on a great book, uh, buy it before the end of uh, April when our distributor sure. is, you know, changing everything. So right, um, it's a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. This is a book that, again. You have a choice. You can sit there and go through it all in once, or you can just pick up and go through several pages at a time. You will get a lot out of it. It invokes certain questions within yourself. You can connect with it at a different level, and it's to your own choosing. Well, that that pretty well sums it up. I couldn't have said (laughs) it better. What advice do you have for someone who is a skeptic or afraid to step out out of their comfort zone to experience spirituality? Oh, that's a good question. In all the interviews, that's the first time someone's ever asked me that question. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Huh. What would I say to a skeptic? I would say, how do you explain the fact that there are hundreds, thousands of cases documented 
where four-year-old children will speak in a foreign language and remember specifics about a town over mm-hmm. in India where they lived in the 1850s. And then people go research it, and it's exactly what the child said. Mm-hmm. How do you explain mm-hmm. that? That's what I say to him. Very interesting. Because there's, um, you know, the scientific world, there's, uh, you believe there's a certain worldview uh, that you, you know, buy into. Mm-hmm. And, but there's all these anomalies in the world. There's all these quote-unquote coincidences. There's, you know, yeah. why did that, that, that blouse start moving? You know, there's, there's yeah. so many things that don't fit into the worldview of the skeptic. And so what they do is they just basically do the ostrich, stick their head in the sand. Yeah. And that, that's kind of it. And, right. you know, the thing is, is say, they're... they're there's a lot of unexplained, mysterious things in this world. Um, yeah. So that's what I would say to them. Very interesting. This is a question that they will ask. How do we know if it's God's voice or not? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what, page 56 or something in the book? How do we know if it's God's voice? <laughs> How do we, that's a good question because you know some people do horrible things and they're like, oh, God told yeah. me to, to, you know, that's right, do this. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. good Lord, George W. Bush said God told him to uh, invade Iraq, yeah, and yeah. that was a disaster for many right. reasons. So, yeah, you know, and I don't think George W. was an evil person at all. Right, I mean, I think he thought he was doing the right thing. But how do you know if it's God's voice or not? That's a that's one of the pages in the book. And yes. and what Deirdre says is, well, you have to learn. You have to, this is where you have to uh, question things. Just because you hear the voice doesn't mean it's God. You have to um, develop a sensitivity, develop mm-hmm. a, a, a feeling that you know by the, say the word vibration, by the energy, right. whether it's pure or not, or whether it's just something coming from your subconscious that you want to do, and this is the whole the, the whole path of the uh, inner exploration to realize, mm-hmm. oh, that's God's voice, or um, <laughs> or not. And she said in the quote, it's kind of one of those funny quotes. She goes, "Well, you know, it's kind of like you know, you're walking down the street and someone tells you sells you the, a Louis Vuitton bag." And you mm-hmm, pick it up, mm-hmm. and it just feels cheap in your hands. So it's a knockoff. It's not the real thing. It's just a knockoff. <laughs> the, the false god is like a knockoff. So. so true. I like that particular page, and it reminded me of in my own personal self, when you talk about vibrations and whatnot, what I have experienced is this. When my heart is not in alignment with my mind, I get a certain sense of nervousness. And so I know then that's like you were talking about earlier, that's my ego or my fear kicking in. But if it's the right thing to do, I somehow experience this sort of smoothness of harmony and serenity of the things I'm about to do. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. That's exactly what you're talking about. There, it's it's from knowing yourself and questioning it and saying, well, I kind of, ah, that's uh, I know I'm having that thought, but my heart, the part of me is just shaking its head and going, oh no no, and that's something 
you know, you develop that that those inner senses, you know, are you, we sort of, you know, we're, we're born here, we open our eyes, those senses right. kind of work. But right. there are the inner senses. Um, some people, they're born and those are awake. Like for Deirdre, that was her experience. They just, mm-hmm. they were just always there. Right. For a lot of us, myself, you know, it's something you develop, but it's like all the other skills you have. You know, you, when you're born, you don't, can't necessarily play tennis or golf, mm-hmm. but you know, you can develop that. So these these inner senses, these inner awarenesses, there's something that they're there. You just have to, uh, you know, pour a little sunshine, a little water, and a little fertilizer on them, and they they start to grow. That's right. If you nurture that part of the equation, it will grow. So true. Right. So true. As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go back to what we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the recipe, and that's the caring for others, caring for family. Let's just mm-hmm. let's just start with caring for family. Right mm-hmm. now, Deirdre couldn't join us because um, her brother just underwent some brain surgery last week, so she's off in Nashville taking care of him. You know, he's got to, because he, you know, he's, he's has to sleep a lot, taking care of it. You know, you, like you said, your mother, you, you got a call from your sister. So you got on a plane right away and flew over there to do that. So, so really the recipe is just, you know, taking care of, of people around you. Um, and you, when you do that, you'll, you'll have experiences, you'll, you know, you'll grow. Um <laughs> You know, you don't always grow by doing these big mystical practices. Sometimes it's just holding someone's hand when they're having a bad day, and um, that's that's a great a great recipe. It's a beautiful recipe because sometimes you just have to be in the moment and simple things. What may be simple to you, it's colossal to someone else. Yep. Or so I thought you were going to say, what may be simple to you is colossal for your spirit. Beautifully put. <laughs> Beautifully put. Beautifully. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday, March 28th. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing the latest release from Chicken Soup, Best Mom Ever, 101 Stories of Gratitude, Love, and Wisdom. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. William, thank you so much for being with me this morning. It is a true pleasure to have you on the air. Thank you again and have a blessed day, sir. Thank you. You too. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Hairspray event is back. Shop over 115 salon brand hairsprays and dry shampoos starting at just $7.99. Where to turn when styles fall flat? Sebastian Schaefer's where it's at. Try Chi or Rusk put frizz on ice. S Factor for shine and hold how nice. Hurry in. The beauty brand's annual hairspray event ends this Saturday. So stock up on your favorites and save up to 67%. Plus, receive a free full-size gift from Sexy Hair while supplies last. For details, visit your nearest store or shop beautybrands.com.